from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The Missouri Legislature is in session and lawmakers are working on a whole host of ideas for making this a better state. They're hearing bills related to crime, public education, and discrimination. They're dealing with the ongoing snafu around unemployment overpayments. And they're working to immortalize Rush Limbaugh, yes, that guy, with a holiday or maybe a highway. And here today with all the details is Jason Hancock. He's the editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent, the nonprofit news site specializing in coverage of state government. Jason, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Jason, I know everyone is dying to hear the latest on the Rush Limbaugh bills, but I'd like to start with something a little more important to a whole lot of people, and that's the state's accidental overpayment of unemployment benefits to thousands of Missourians. Now, when we last checked in on this issue on this show, the legislature had approved a bill allowing the waiver of repayment of $109 million of these funds. Why was this back in the news this week in such a big way? Well, so as part of the agreement, when the House passed that bill, I guess it was last month, um, they said that they had worked out this sort of detente with the state and with the administration of Governor Mike Parson. Um, As one lawmaker put it, the state had agreed to call off the dogs. They would no longer aggressively seek repayment from individuals who were mistakenly paid. And in exchange, the legislature removed an emergency clause from the bill that would have made it go into effect immediately. Um, and then passed the bill and sent it over to the Senate. It's back in the news this week because uh, very recently, lawmakers started hearing from constituents again who were getting sort of uh, aggressively pursued by the state. A few of them I talked to uh, late last week had letters from the state saying we were going to ask for liens on your property, Mm -hmm. we were going to garnish your income tax return, start garnishing your wages. This obviously, in the eyes of the legislature, violated the spirit of their agreement And so they hauled the Department of Labor director back, first in front of a House committee and then in front of a Senate committee, and uh, let her know of their displeasure. Okay, so the state apparently did not call the dogs off. Did Director Anna Hugh have a good reason why? So what she was saying is that it was their belief, because the legislation in particular focused on federal money, not having to be repaid, not state money, Mm -hmm. that they called off the collection actions on the federal side, but not on the state side. And that there was also some sort of bureaucratic snafus even in that. But um, that was not an answer that was well received by the legislature. They felt as though some of them put their, you know, Democrats had been saying, we can't trust the administration to, to do this. They, they, they could be doing this right now, but they've chosen not to. Republicans insisted that they, that they had this agreement. They felt like they had egg on their face. And it was a very testy couple of meetings for the, the Department of Labor director, who at the end of the day has said that the department has stopped all collection actions uh, for people who were mistakenly paid and there was no fraud involved. And so that's where we stand now. But it doesn't seem as though it's pacified the legislature very much. They're going to push, push forward with their bill and they've put their, they're going to put the emergency clause back in. They're going to add the state repayments back in. They're basically going to make it exactly what the administration was trying to avoid. And uh, I'm not sure where it goes from there, but the next stop is the Senate floor 
where this debate will uh, rekindle again, uh, maybe as soon as next week. So Republicans had had vouched for the executive branch here and said, we don't need to, to make this an emergency. We can trust these guys. Is this going to lead to bad will between them and the governor's office that they now feel that he's revealed just the opposite? It's been one of those sessions where there's been quite a bit of bad will between the second floor where the governor's office is and the third floor where the uh, the House and Senate chamber are. If you recall, the Speaker of the House and the governor had a bit of a, a rumble earlier this year over the where the state of the state address would be held. Mm. So it, it's been one of those sessions. Uh, will it have lingering effects? I, I guess it ultimately depends on what the governor does. If the legislature passes this bill the way they're talking about it now and it goes to his desk, um, and he signs it, then, you know, I think this kind of moves off and it doesn't become a, 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 a spark of any sort of uh, hostility. Uh, if the department continues to live up to the agreement, I think that could pacify a lot of this. But a couple of folks said during the hearings this week, you know, this happened in March and April when we're in session. What if we discovered this in July and August when we weren't mm-hmm. and we would have had no recourse to do anything about it? So, uh, there is a fair amount of suspicion, and you know we're reaching the part of the session where most of the legislating actually happens these last few weeks. So if there is uh, any hostility or any sort of bad blood, this is a terrible time for it to manifest itself. And why did the governor's office, why was it originally something that they cared about that this not be treated as an emergency? Is this hamstringing them in some other ways, uh, they thought, if they were allegedly planning to, to call off all these dogs anyway? Well, so they were afraid that because if it was an emergency clause, the moment the governor signed it, it would be effective and you would start having people reaching out because uh, it allows people on a case-by-case basis to have some of these uh, fees waived. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel as though the department could be prepared. We're talking about you know, a, a huge amount of people who applied for unemployment last year that uh, above and beyond what the state normally handles. And they didn't want to see another instance where the department was overwhelmed. So they were hoping that they could have time mm. if there's no emergency clause that would, if they called off the dogs, the bill would go into effect in August. And by then they could have this sort of uh, the situation uh, situated so that they could have staff and a plan in place to handle what I presume is going to be a lot of folks reaching out, trying to ensure they don't get forced to repay this money. Boy, what an issue this has turned out to be. I remember when we first caught wind of this, I think nobody had any idea just how many people were affected and how long it was going to take to untangle this thing. Yeah, it's it's been amazing to see because, you know, we kind of forget, you know, last year, the number of people who uh, came out of the woodwork filing for unemployment, obviously it ballooned because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks who you know, we, I talked to folks who were bus drivers in the St. Louis area, uh, school bus drivers. You know, they knew that they historically aren't uh, eligible for unemployment benefits, but they were being told that because we don't know if we're coming back in August, mm-hmm. this is, you know, we've got all this federal money that you should apply and the state can make a determination. They did. They got approved. And these are some of the people who just as recently as, you know, April 1st were getting letters saying, we're going to ask a court to put a lien on your house. So mm. it's 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 still dragging on. The hope is that like this sort of purged some of the uh, the bad feelings, got them all out there, and the state can just sort of move forward. 
Okay. Well, I know you're going to stay on this story. I have a feeling this is not going to be the last time we talk about it, but let's see (laughs) if maybe we can finally get some resolution. Now, Jason, the other big story that the Missouri Independent has been all over in this past week, this also involved Republicans challenging fellow Republicans. At its center is Rick Rober. He's a representative from Lee's Summit. What exactly is he accused of? Well, late last year, about a few weeks before the election, uh, Rick Raber's adult children accused him of sexual and physical bu- of a sexual and physical abuse when they were children. Um, this would have been uh, in the early '90s when his adopted daughter was nine, and he was previously accused uh, by another sibling. Uh, it, this is vouched for by four different children mm. that. Uh, like I said, this took place in the early 90s before he and their mother uh, divorced. So this came out in uh, late or late September, early October. There was a lot of people calling on him to drop out of the race, a lot of people calling to the party to abandon him. He won his race by 300 votes. <laughs> uh, and But before he could be sworn in, the Republican House leadership said, we won't let him caucus with this, and we're going to have the Ethics Committee look into these allegations to see if he should be allowed to serve. Um, It seems as though the committee's work was starting to come to an end, Hmm. that they were going to be releasing a report. And, uh, you know, we came across a letter in a sunshine request where House leadership actually reached out to the Jackson County prosecutor, asking her to look into, uh, I guess, Representative Raber has some sort of a visitation with, uh, with a young child. And they were concerned about the safety of this child. And the prosecutor said that she'd been in contact with local police about it. Oh, my. Shortly after this letter became public, uh, the representative sent a note out saying that he was resigning. Didn't mention the accusations, didn't mention the letter, didn't mention the, the ethics committee investigation. He said that he and his fiance were moving out of the district that would force him to step down from his seat effective Friday um, today. But um, as it would turn out, that is not what came to be. Yes. So you're leading us right up to something that has frankly has me a little bit speechless. And that is that the House rejected his resignation. Do they have the ability to say, hey, you want to quit? You're not allowed to quit. It appears as though. I mean, his, his, his resignation letter was read on the floor of the House on Thursday, um, which, you know, means it was going to be printed in the journal. And, you know, I have not seen this. You know, I've covered the legislature in Missouri now since 2011. This is the first I've seen anything like this happen, where there was, you know, instead of it just being placed in the journal, it was read aloud. And then we had ethics committee chairman, uh, Travis Fitzwater, who's a Republican uh, from Callaway County, actually objected. And the argument being that the ethics committee is about to release its report and that these allegations should be aired publicly and the body should have some sort of a, um, there should be some sort of a resolution to this before the representative is allowed to just resign his seat and leave. And so it's my understanding they'll be releasing a report early next week, and we could have an actual vote. Um, it's it's the uh, it's the it's the opposite of you can't fire me because I quit. It's like you can't quit because we're going to fire you. <laughs> um, this could very well turn into the only the second person who's ever been ejected from the Missouri House of Representatives. And the last time it was someone who was disloyal to the Union during the Civil War. Wow. So, that's how how significant this could be if it comes to a vote next week. So is it the concern of the Ethics Committee that they can't release their report publicly if this guy quits, or does it come down to a desire to potentially punish him, uh, which obviously would be much harder to do if, if he's no longer part of this body? 
Well, they've released reports about people post-resignation before. There was a state representative from the Kansas City area who resigned, and shortly thereafter, the Ethics Committee report uh, was published in the journal that said that he'd been accused of sexual harassment of a, of a staff member. So it wouldn't be unprecedented for them to go that route. I honestly think that this is the body thinking they want some sort of justice. Hmm. Um, you know, House Speaker Rob Viscovo was pretty outspoken about this when, when the Representative Raber announced his resignation, saying that he felt that, the, his, that Rick Raber's children hadn't been listened to, they'd been abandoned by the system, and that they deserved some level of justice. And I feel like that's what the House is hoping to do. You know, the Kansas City Star editorialized on this as well, and they kind of equated it to trying to avoid an Eric Greitens problem, where mm-hmm. you have someone that you were going to kick out, but they quit. And then two years later, they claim exoneration because, well, I was never impeached. Um, maybe that's part of it as well. They just want to make sure that this guy doesn't have a second act in his political career. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely unprecedented. And, you know, it'll only be more so if they do return next week to expel him. Wow, that is interesting. And what a timely analogy related to Eric Greitens. Um, I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, You mentioned Rob Vescovo, uh, the Speaker of the House. And I know one of the other things the legislature is working on is uh, they'd like to help foster or adoptive parents. I know this is a big issue for him. Um, What is going on in that arena? They've passed a couple bills. I mean, this was one of the big priorities for the Speaker of the House. He's actually uh, was adopted when he was young. Um, and so, you know, he was raised by, uh, I think, first in foster care and then an adopted family, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And so they've passed some tax credits aimed to, to try to, to help these families, both of adoptees and uh, foster kids, you know, tax credits to help them with expenses, because these can be very expensive processes, both to, to adopt a child and also if you're a foster uh, parent, you know, you acquire these these costs. You know, I spoke to the sponsor of the bill that was passed uh, earlier this session. She talked about how she had a, a foster child that had to have dental work done. Mm. And if the insurance doesn't cover it, then you're paying out of pocket, you know. But it's it's important for these kids to feel a part of your family. You can't just say, like, well, you're a foster kid. You don't you don't get the same stuff because I don't get reimbursed for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the point being is they're trying to make it easier for people to get involved in the foster care system because there's just so many kids that are still waiting for a good home. And anything the state can do to help them, they're trying to do. So the House has passed two bills. Um, the Senate's passed them. They're on their way to the governor. So the last step before their law is that the governor uh, is the governor's signature, and there's no inclination that I've heard that he won't sign both of them. Okay. So that's a little piece of good news here, but I have to bring it back to, um, in our final minutes here, the effort to name something for Rush Limbaugh. I've heard that maybe we're looking at a holiday. We might be looking at a highway. What are the actual proposals that seem to be advancing? Uh, in both the House and Senate, there are bills to honor the late Rush Limbaugh. Uh, one would name a six-mile stretch of Interstate 55 in Cape Girardeau after him. It become the Rush Limbaugh Memorial Highway. Um, he's famously from the Cape area. Um, and then another would make his birthday, January 12th, um, Rush Limbaugh Day. Now, it's important, and you know, we tried to make this clear in our story, you know, Rush Limbaugh Day would not create a state holiday. School and government offices would not close. Um, this is, you know, an honorary thing. Um, you know, the legislation does include a line that says something along the lines of, you know, you should be you're encouraged to participate in activities to remember the life of this famous Missourian. Hmm. But um, but yeah, that, so it's it's an honorary thing trying to, uh, you know, one of Missouri's more famous or infamous, depending on your perspective. Uh, 
you know, residents who's, you know, in the past honoring him has been a lightning rod of controversy with because they placed his a bust of him in the Capitol Rotunda. I think it was 2012 and that that in and of itself was was pretty controversial. Um these bills seem to be garnering an equal amount of controversy. Yeah, I think it's safe to say Democrats uh, don't like this guy. And you know what? Uh, Rush Limbaugh did not like Democrats. So the feeling is mutual <laughs> there. Do they have any hope of, of stopping either of these at this point? Well, they haven't gotten very far in the process yet. Um, I mean, obviously, the if if the legislature puts their mind to it, they can really push through. And I don't, I don't foresee Democrats blowing a lot of political capital trying to stop these things that don't really have the force of law. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's so many, li- there's a litany of things. The list of things they want to kill is long. If you're a, a Senate or House Democrat, I can't imagine that stopping a Rush Limbaugh day is, is going to be something that you want to, you know, burn the bridges over. But um, again, it's it's a long way off. The thing I keep hearing about is there's another resolution that that's, it was going to formally renounce the Dred Scott decision, which mm-hmm. obviously was this infamous and awful decision um, uh, regarding slavery and the rights of African Americans. I've seen several state reps, especially those in the Black Caucus, that are just outraged that that bill still hasn't made its way through the process yet, and they don't feel as though we should be honoring Rush Limbaugh while we're still not you know, passing this Dred Scott resolution. Hmm. And so that, I, I assume that you'll hear a lot of that if this if these bills do start to move forward. Well, Jason Hancock, editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent, you've given us a great glimpse of what's happening in Jefferson City. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that very timely update on a whole bunch of fronts. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. We will have you back again soon. This is going to be a regular thing on Fridays. We'll be hearing from the Missouri Independent with all the news happening with our state government. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.